everybody. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show here on the Basement Podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Logan Blackman. Go follow the social media accounts for the show at the underscore LB underscore show for the show's Twitter account. My personal Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Show's Instagram account at the Logan Blackman Show. Instagram Blackman Logan. Search those. Pop up. Go like the Facebook page. Search the Logan Blackman Show on Facebook. It should pop up and give it a big old thumbs up. And then also go subscribe to the YouTube channel, Logan Blackman on YouTube. Again, it's a realistic picture of me with my shirt off. Just a typical vacation pic, and I put a little text underneath it so you can see it on there. We just uploaded a video this morning, or I guess yesterday, of the Logan Blackman Show podcast clip for Monday. So make sure you go watch that video. It's like a half hour, 35 minutes long. So make sure you go put some time out and watch that. I would like to give a little thing about that about that episode of Logan Blackman Show podcast clips the editing is a very is a not one of my best works so what happened there was just to give a little backstory about what happened with that episode of Logan Blackman Show was uh, basically I tried to throw a picture of the Logan Blackman Show episode on the entire on the green screen which I have in uh in the shot if you watch Logan Blackman Show videos you know exactly what I'm talking about so I was going to throw on my logo on the back, the one, the black logo with the text with me crouching down with my faces over some of the letters there, that logo. I was going to put that in the back. So I it did it. The logo's in the back, but when I got done editing it, I put the clips and dragged them over top of it to make the green screen effect work. But I, when I was moving them over, it must have moved over too much and I didn't realize it. So part of the ends of certain clips when there's cuts are cut out and that was not intentional. Uh, that's not one of my better edits I've ever done. It's probably one of my worst edits I've done in a very, very long time. I was just so tired. I couldn't do it. I had barely any motivation to edit that video and to chop it all up and then to post on YouTube in general. I almost was like, screw it. Let's just not do the episode for YouTube. Let's just keep doing it on the podcast like we've been doing and just screw the YouTube channel. But we eventually got it up. It's watchable, but there's some parts to me that are cringy. To others, there might not be that cringy because the one of the, my favorite slogans ever, one of my favorite adages of all time, if that's the correct phrasing of that, is you are your biggest critic. I'm going to notice things way more out of my things that I've produced, notice the tiniest little errors more than the average person. Like my mom and dad are listening to it or a friend's listening to it. That's not in the same major as me and has not done the same things I've done where they can go, oh, yeah, that's not very good, Logan. You should do that. Scrap that because it's terrible. But thankfully, I think I only have one or two friends that are in the same major as me. So not a lot of other people notice it. But I will. And I overthink it a lot. And it frustrates me. So don't judge me on that video's editing work because it's not that good. The video is just hard to watch in general, but... Just watch it. See if it's worth your time. Uh, yeah, we post clips on the Instagram channel as well. For those of you who didn't know what we do on Instagram, we post a little about 30-second to a minute-long clips on our Instagram page. So give a little preview of each episode. Give a brief little description down below as well. And, yeah, that's what we got for social media. But go and follow all those. Give likes to all the pages. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Like every video without even watching it. You like before you try it. Don't even watch the video. Just give it a big thumbs up before you even watch it. Right as you click the video, first thing you do is like the video. And in the start of those videos, it's just the intro playing. It's just Rock the House by the Gorillas playing for about 30 seconds. And then it goes to me talking. So like it within that 30 seconds. And there will be a nice little surprise for you if you meet me and tell me, Hey, Logan, I like the video, the the Gorillas part. What's my prize? And I'm not going to tell you what it is now because that's the... That's what makes it intriguing, doesn't it? If I told you what the prize was now, you go, ah, it's not good. Or, oh my god, that's awesome. Like, there's two sides to this coin. Like, if I told one person, they might get all hyped about this prize. The other person might not be that excited and say, wow, that's, uh, you're making me, you want, what, this, this, I don't know what you want me to do here, Logan. This was, this prize wasn't worth my time. So it's kind of like those situations. So we're not going to tell you the prize. We might give away a Logan Blackman show shirt or something of your choice. 
whenever we officially drop the merchandise link and all that kind of stuff, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Don't know when all that stuff's coming, though. I thought more stuff would come today since stuff came on Saturday. Logically, I was thinking, well, shouldn't just more stuff come on Monday? Shouldn't that be how this works? And sadly, it didn't. But I did get a sticker today. Logan Blackman shows sticker, so I stuck that on the back of my laptop. I got a lot of stickers on my laptop. I got a crap ton of stickers. I got, let's see how many stickers I have on here, because I guess I've never really counted before. Patrick Kane holding up the Stanley Cup, hoisting the Stanley Cup. A land yachts, two land yacht stickers, longboarding stuff. Uh, Jimmy Neutron with Donkey Kong's head. Kendrick playing dice. The Cubs logo, that was the first sticker I ever had on this laptop. The Bills logo drawn by Josh Allen with a normal Bills logo also. I have Patrick Starr holding up $3. The, I have $3 thing. I have a Beats Pill stickers on there. Or not Beats Pill sticker, just Beats sticker, head, Beats headphone sticker on there. I have Guy Fieri holding a giant wiener. Uh, Yukon Cornelius, which says Yukon Cornelius. He's holding a ukulele. I have a Nike sticker across the middle of it. It's a pair of Nike shoes that I got. came with this monster sticker. So I slapped that puppy on there. And then I got a cave sticker for creating a vision entertainment. My boy Andrew Gunnis's business. And then, of course, the newly added Logan Blackman Show sticker. We got a lot of stickers on this bad boy. I want a swarm sticker. I got a hat from what 26th Street Apparel. Or 26th State Apparel. And it's a swarm hat. You can see the likes of C.J. Beathard and George Kittle rocking this a few years ago when they came back to visit Iowa. So I was like, ooh, that hat's pretty sweet. So I have that, and the game with the stickers I stuck on there. And then I have another Lanyot sticker, I guess, on the inside of the laptop. So you can open it up right next to the trackpad on my laptop. There's another Lanyot sticker. So we have three Lanyot stickers. Close in second, coming in second in the number of stickers there are. The Bills come in with two, one drawn by the best quarterback in the NFL, and the other one a realistic rendering of the Bills logo. We'll talk about the greatest quarterback in the NFL coming up later and a little challenge that has been proposed by another quarterback in the NFL based off their Madden rankings. This has been brought up. This got brought up last year, but it's getting brought up again. But we're going to end the show on that because I'm excited to talk about that. We didn't get to any of this stuff that I'm going to talk about at the beginning yesterday. We didn't get to any soccer stuff yesterday. But some of you might be sitting there like, yes, no soccer. Yes, I dislike soccer because they flop all the time and look silly with their hairs and their socks and stuff. It's just so boring to watch. There's those people. And there's like, oh, no, Logan, soccer's my favorite sport. No. It's different. See, another thing. Two sides of this coin here. And the Logan Blackman Show's guy's got to flip it and hope it lands on the right side. Which, if you flip a Logan Blackman show coin, it always ends on the right side. <laughs> it's an interesting show so far. Start off, I would say. But uh, let's just get right into soccer talk. We talked a lot of college football yesterday. We went through Phil Steele's 2020 college football preview book. A lot of fun. Love that book. If you want to call it a book, call it a book. If you want to call it a magazine, call it a magazine. Um, the book the experts cannot do without. And of course, as we said yesterday, I am an expert. So I need this book. And I got it. And it's fantastic. I would recommend you guys all go out and purchase it online because there's not going to be selling it in stores this year, sadly. Those are my favorite things. Going to Barnes & Noble, going back to the magazine section, seeing Phil Steele 2020 College Football Preview sitting right there. And then when he had the NFL season previews, I would get one of those too. But he doesn't do the NFL previews anymore, at least to my knowledge. But, yeah, the college football preview is fantastic. I love it. I've got a few of them up in Cedar Falls. I think I've got three of them up in Cedar Falls. And I've got about eight here at home, eight or nine, something like that. It's an insane amount. I think my mom might have thrown away some of them because the pages were getting worn down and all that stuff. Some of the covers are gone off them. They're getting older and getting wet and stuff. Have dogs like to chew on random things so you got to deal with that stuff as well so there's bite marks and some of but the ones that are newer are up in cedar falls except for the 2021 because we just did a show yesterday with it here in urbandale but let's get on to the other football if you're talking about football over in europe or in any other part of the world i guess other than the united states and canada you're talking about soccer and let's get back to major league soccer so we got the MLS's back tournament, of course, going on right now. 
and we have some locked in places for the official playoff groups so the winner there's only one winner so far to all of the groups it is the san jose earthquakes who are all the way through to the playoffs the only team that is guaranteed their spot in the playoffs because of course obviously you still got group games still to come so winners there's a lot of teams at the top of the groups that are either tied or only three points up on the team in second and third so there's still a slim chance that that team finishes in third and might have to go through being one of the top third place teams in the tournament which right now out of the third place team sporting kansas city is the best team in the mls's back tournament but they've only played two games as opposed to the new york new york city fc has played three games and they are going to be a third place team in group a and with orlando city sc and philadelphia union advancing with the top two spots those two will play later today at 7 p.m eastern time or later monday night they're playing tonight if you don't know we're recording this a day before now we're not recording it the day of anymore we're recording it the night before so if i say it's today it was really yesterday so we'll go over the scores that are happening tonight tomorrow if that makes sense which will be wednesday's podcast if that makes any sense it's probably hard to follow but nycfc beat inter miami earlier today 1-0 making inter miami the first team in mls history to lose their first five games they lost all of them lost all five games all five of them <laughs> they lost by one in every single one of their games in the mls's back tournament nycfc got their first goal of the season in their last game against Orlando City SC when they lost three to one this is their second goal of the season but it actually came in a winning effort so we'll see what happens at the top of the group and for NYCFC's sake I hope that they can make it through but right now on three points with the minus two goal differential I don't know if it's going to be really likely that they stay up as one of the top three seeds in the MLS's back tournament but Orlando City and Philadelphia Union are through we just got to figure out the seeding of who comes in first and second in this group. We'll figure that out later tonight or last night if you're listening on Tuesday, which no one's listening right now here on this Monday. But the only group that we said has a locked-in spot, first place in the group is the San Jose Earthquakes, seven points, two wins, one draw. Chris Wondolowski got another goal. He's already got the lead in the MLS in the all-time goal-scoring charts. He got another one extending his lead. He scored two goals in the tournament so far, getting one in their last game against Vancouver, Got one last night, July 19th, against the Chicago Fire. So right now in this standings, San Jose is on top with seven points. They have a plus three goal differential. Seattle Sounders are in second with a pl- with four goals to their name, or four points to their name. Chicago Fire currently in third right now, but can move up. Vancouver Whitecaps have already been eliminated. Or can't, all they can do, uh, basically eliminated. I don't really see, they're the worst, they're one of the worst teams in the MLS. I'm eliminating them right now. They play the Chicago Fire the 23rd do i think they're gonna beat the fire no do i think they can tie the fire sure i bet they can tie them but then chicago will be still be in third in the bracket they'll be tied on points with seattle sounders but seattle will have a better goal differential out of the two teams but seattle the worst they can do is third the best they can do is second they are basically moving on with that plus two goal differential with the four points their name already that is key for one of the third place battles if the Chicago Fire beat Vancouver tomorrow night. Or not tomorrow night, the 23rd. We got a couple days until the 23rd. But that's how Group B is looking. Group C, Toronto FC and New England Re- Revolution are tied on top of Group C with four points. Each got a plus one goal differential. Two very different teams, though, this tournament so far. Toronto FC have scored six goals and have allowed five. Whereas New England has scored two and only allowed one so far. Not It's kind of weird. Montreal who were one of the hotter teams to start the season, which I had low expectations for when the MLS back, when the MLS started back originally in its original start day. I had lower expectations for them. But because of their hot start to the season, I thought they'd be fine. I had them moving on. I think I had them in the third place game. I might have had them finishing second. I had Toronto winning it. I know that. But DC and Montreal will play each other tomorrow night, Tuesday night. So you're listening to this on Tuesday. Tonight. They'll be playing tonight uh at 9 30 this will be deciding the fate of the two teams who will go down who will go up oh it's all it's all exciting 
New England and Toronto will play each other tonight, I guess, at 8 p.m. or this morning. So before the show is even released, they'll be playing. And the game will probably be over by that time. But they're both on top with four points. They can't go down. Well, I guess they can go down if D.C. United wins. And if D.C. United wins by a decent margin and New, and, uh, New England and Toronto tie, D.C. can realistically win Group C on two points right now. 3-3, three, three, their goals. They have a zero-goal differential. So they win by two goals. And then Toronto FC and New England Revolution draw nil-nil. D.C. United wins Group C. So that's what we could be looking at right now. But Montreal, the best they can do is third. Group D, Real Salt Lake and Minnesota United drew nil-nil the other night. And Sporting Kansas City came from behind after leading. So they came from behind, led 2-1, to one, gave up the lead to nine men. And then Graham Zuzzi scored a goal, a very lucky goal in the 91st minute. Very uh, iffy game for Sporting. Uh, but, man, they like to lose a lead. They like to blow leads. They did that against Minnesota United. They did it against Colorado. But, thankfully, they turned it around and beat Colorado 3-2. They're only one point behind the likes of Real Salt Lake in Minnesota United. Sporting Kansas City's biggest rival in the MLS historically is Real Salt Lake. So this is a very big matchup here. Real Salt Lake would like nothing better than to just sand Sporting Kansas City to the Shadow Realm and say you can't come anywhere near, you can't finish top of the group, which they they still could. I thought they would, but the way they've been playing this tournament, I don't really feel that confident about it anymore. Uh... But sporting against Real Salt Lake, Real Salt Lake have scored two goals this tournament, same as Minnesota United. Sporting should have beaten Minnesota United. And Real Salt Lake took care of Colorado Rapids pretty easily, 2 to nothing in their first game. But Colorado Rapids are playing Minnesota United. Uh, Yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that game goes. It's going to be very, very interesting. The best Colorado Rapids can do is finish third. Can't finish above third. They have three points. If they win, they have a minus three goal differential. They've allowed five, scored only two against Minnesota United. I expect Minnesota United to win. I'm going to go with like two to one or something like that. I'm going to go sporting winning as well. Three to two, much like the Cedar, the uh, Colorado Rapids sporting Kansas City game. Three two final there or draw two to two is also what I'm feeling there. Group E, Columbus crew have advanced. Top of the group with six points. The best team in the MLS is back tournament right now, in my humble opinion. Six goals scored, zero allowed, pounding FC Cincinnati 4-0, and then beating New York Red Bulls 2 to nothing. Zardes getting goals in both games, and Zalarian getting a goal in both games as well, with Mokhtar getting a goal in the first game as well. Zardes scored two in the first game and one in the second game. Lane United? Um, yeah. They've sucked, pretty much. They lost to FC Cincinnati, who got pounded 4-0, to Columbus Crew on July 11th. They come back and beat one of the hottest teams in MLS, one of the best teams in MLS. Granted, their best player is out. But still, even with that, I expect Atlanta United to handle FC Cincinnati. Atlanta United is going to be eliminated. I don't see them beating Columbus Crew. Columbus Crew has allowed zero goals. Minnesota United has scored none this tournament. So that's not a very good recipe for success for Atlanta United who will be watching on the couch, much like myself, for the rest of the tournament, is what I'm seeing here. And then I fully expect uh, New York Red Bulls to beat FC Cincinnati. So FC Cincinnati will come third. Columbus Crew come first on nine points. New York Red Bulls come second with six. And then Atlanta United sit on the bottom with zero. That's my prediction right now. Uh, yeah, Columbus Crew has just been so freaking good at the start of this tournament. I don't know what... I mean, Columbus Crew... I had Caleb Porter winning coach of the year. I really liked the Columbus crew at the start of the season. I thought the Columbus crew were going to be the most improved team. And they are looking very, very, very good at the start of this tournament. Especially with Diasi Zardes, who is uh, Greg Beerhalter's one of his favorite players for the U.S. men's national team. One of the more frustrating players, I will say, for the U.S. men's national team. But Beerhalter loves him. And with this kind of a form, it's going to be hard to keep him out of the U.S. men's national team who are not necessarily sport for choice when it comes to the striker position. Josie Altador has, who is, by all accounts, a U.S. men's national team legend, which is not great to say because that dude has been so erratic with his scoring, it's ridiculous. 
but he has over 100 caps for the U.S. Men's National Team. But he has, I don't think he might. I think he has 38 goals to his name, 37, 38 goals to his name for the U.S. In 100-plus games, around 40 goals is not a great return. Clint Dempsey and Landon Donovan were freaking wingers and attacking midfielders when they started for the MLS Men, or the U.S. Men's National Team. And they're the two leading scorers in U.S. history with 57 goals each, which I feel bad Dempsey retired too early. That dude should have beat Donovan's record. I love Clint Dempsey. That's my favorite player of all time. I love Clint Dempsey. Love Landon Donovan too. But they were wingers in the early parts of their U.S. careers. Donovan started shifting towards the middle towards the end of his U.S. career. Dempsey started moving towards the middle at the beginning of the Klinsman era, playing more of an attacking midfielder, sometimes striker position for the U.S., especially at the 2014 World Cup where him and Altador were supposed to partner each other in a 4-4-2 diamond. But Altador gets hurt the first game and... They switched to a 4-2-3-1 or something along those lines and played Dempsey by himself as the lone striker. Yeah, Zara's going to be hard to keep out. You got Josh Sargent there as well. Jordan Morris can play striker, but now he's he's more of a winger. His pace is too much, and his inconsistency in front of goal makes him a liability as a striker. So his forward spot as a winger, it should be kind of locked in. Not saying a start, but to go to the next tournament is what I'm, getting, what I'm saying here. Uh, group F. The final group here had a little bit of shocker the other night. Uh, LT, LA Galaxy versus LAFC. El Trafico. Uh, absolute destruction here. Multi-car pileup in El Trafico. One-way Trafico. Multi-car pileup. Multiple deaths reported here. Javier Hernandez, Chicharito. LA Galaxy's player coming over this year. Big-name player. One of my favorite players of all time, even though he's a Mexican international. Scored a lot of goals against the U.S., but he scored a lot of goals for Manchester United, which made me love him growing up. Did not play in this game. I can't remember the exact reasoning, but he did not play against the LA, against LAFC. Good Lord, LAFC absolutely annihilated the LA Galaxy. Most notably, Diego Rossi. Four goals to Diego Rossi. The young Uruguayan mid winger, four goals. Got a 13th-minute penalty, scored in the 47th minute, 75th, and the 92nd minute. Four goals. And Bradley Wright Phillips, in the second part of his MLS career, scores again, as he always has for his entire MLS career. It's just what Bradley Wright Phillips does, doesn't it? And then El Munier getting at the final nail in the coffin for LAFC to make it 6-2. to two. Latif Blessing got an own goal for the LAFC, and Christian Pavon, Got the only goal for the LA Galaxy as a LA Galaxy player. So if we want to go like that, it was really seven to one because Latif Blessing, a LA LAFC player, former Kansas City, former Sporting Kansas City player, really liked Latif Blessing. I wish he was still there, but he's made some. Good, he's a very versatile player at LAFC. He's very much a winger, somewhat of a striker at Sporting Kansas City. Now he's playing freaking everywhere: center midfield, wing, striker, right back. He plays everywhere for LAFC, and, but he got an own goal. So LA Galaxy started the game up 1-0, and until the 45th minute, the LA Galaxy were up 2-1. to That's how much this game flipped on its head from LAFC, from Diego Rossi, Bradley Wright Phillips, and Neil Monier. Absolute annihilation. And the other game, Portland Timbers 2-1 over at Houston Dynamo, not very surprising there. A minus-5 goal differential for LA Galaxy. There's been a lot of goals scored in Group F. I think, just on first glance, more goals in this this group than any other group in the MLS. You've got eight goals scored against the LA Galaxy. Actually, let's do it goals for us. So, Portland scored four. LAFC scored nine, so makes it 13. Plus four from Houston makes it 17. And then plus three equals 20. I did that right, right? Yeah, look at that. Quick maths. Might be wrong. I don't know. I think it's right. <laughs> but 20 goals in Group F. LA Galaxy got some work to do. We were playing the Houston Dynamo, which is a very winnable game. They've only had one point this tournament. Played very good for a little bit against LAFC. For LAFC started to come back. They were up 3-1 against LAFC. LAFC just liking to come back in this tournament. Bradley Wright Phillips and Diego Rossi have, have scored in both games for LAFC. That game's going to be fun against Portland. Very, very fun game on the July 23rd. Houston versus LA. Back in the early, like, mid-2000s, this was the MLS Cup final, like, every year. Houston versus the LA Galaxy. 
LA Galaxy had stars coming out of their a-holes. And Houston just rode in there with, uh, uh, what crap, what was his name? Carling? He's number three. He's on MLS, he was on, uh, Kick TV for a little bit. Now Copa 90 US. What was his name? Curling Carr? His last name was Carr. He had Brian Ching there as well. They had some good players on Houston Dynamo, but LA Galaxy, Landon Donovan, David Beckham, Robbie Keane. They were fun. That, those games were fun to watch. They were like every year it was that MLS Cup final. And now these two teams are battling to see who could stay in MLS's back tournament. I fully expect the LA Galaxy to. And as we said, Sporting Kansas City are the top third place team right now, but they've only played two games. NYCFC have played three, but their minus two goal differential is the second worst out of the third place team. So yeah, I don't think they'll stay up. And as we said, San Jose Earthquakes, the only team locked in their spot they'll play the third place winner of group a c or d so we'll have to wait and see on that one but yeah that's how we're looking right now in the mls's back tournament i wish that the teams that dropped off dropped off early like and the nashville and fc dallas dropped out earlier so i could actually make correct bracket predictions so that's what i'm gonna base my bracket sucking on is that those teams weren't in there yet they didn't officially drop out yet, so I had to pick those guys in there. So that's why my bracket's not very good. That's why. But, yeah. MLS is back. It is, it's been pretty fun. Not going to lie. San Jose Earthquakes have been on fire. Columbus Crew on fire as well. And my safari has frozen. This is not ideal. We're going to exit out of this. Command option escape. Get out of safari. Force quit. Now let's go back in and go to my websites that I was going to use for the show. <laughs> but now they're not up yet. So now I got to load all these SOBs back up and we move. So hopefully we move faster. But let's talk about some Premier League soccer, Premier League football, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Watford, in the midst of a relegation battle, fired a guy that has orchestrated a great escape with Leicester City back in 2015, which, which using that momentum, saw him get the Premier League title in 2016. Now, I'm not saying Watford is Leicester City. Do I think Watford can win the league the very next year? No. But they have talented players. They have very talented players. Small Asar, uh, Pereira, you know, Gerard De La Feu, Ben Foster's not a terrible goaltender. Uh, Troy Deeney, though not very fun to look at. Uh, scores goals from time to time. Very interesting looking fellow there at Watford. But they've scored only 34 goals, which is third worst in the Premier League this season. 34, third worst. Norwich, who are already relegated, and Crystal Palace, who have no nothing up front and have lost their last six games and have sucked since the restart happened, have scored 30 goals. But yes, Watford fired their manager in the midst of a relegation battle. That's not usually a good sign. It usually does not work out for the team. Aston Villa, though not playing great. Like, Watford had won their last two games prior to their loss last weekend. Though, they did get pounded by West Ham 3-1, a relegation rival for Watford this season. But, man, Watford, that's not a very good sign. It makes me kind of nervous for Watford. If I'm a Watford fan, I'm very nervous there as well. Now, you are playing Manchester City, which was already a losing effort anyway, so we could chalk up a big L from them against Man City. Maybe we could chalk up one for Aston Villa as well. They're playing Arsenal, but knowing Arsenal, there might be a chance that Aston Villa get the win. Even though they've won four of their last six games, there's still a chance Arsenal somehow blow it. Even though they're in the FA Cup final as well, something might happen with Arsenal. But if not, Aston Villa can realistically, I mean, they probably won't because I don't think they're going to score four goals in the game against Arsenal and not allow any goals. I mean, Bournemouth did it to... I mean, Sheffield United did it to Chelsea. Bournemouth scored four against Leicester, so I mean, it's possible. But I don't see that happening. So what? Aston Villa will be in 18th after this, this next round of games is done. They will play West Ham on the last game of the season, which is a very, very winnable game, and Watford play Arsenal. So maybe Watford were just like, we're, we're going to go down anyways. Let's just get out because West Ham or Aston Villa have Arsenal and West Ham, which are two very winnable games for them. I'm not saying they're guaranteed wins because West Ham, they've won their last two games. 
In their last five games, they've won three, drawn one, and only lost one. So I'm not saying they're winning. They're going to win those games, but they're winnable games. More winnable than what Watford's dealing with right now with Manchester City and then playing Arsenal. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Who will get relegated? I think Bournemouth are destined for the drop. I think that one's going to happen. I think, I think Bournemouth's done and dusted. I, I really do. Bournemouth, they play Everton this Sunday. Maybe they get something crazy going. I mean, they beat Leicester, so again, anything is possible here. Maybe they can somehow save themselves. But again, they've already played. So Watford and Aston Villa have a game in hand on Bournemouth right now. So Bournemouth, after these games, we'll have to see the adjusted goal differentials after this. Because right now, they're tied with Aston Villa and four worse than Watford. I don't think they're going up. Even if they win, I think they just move up to 18th. If that. Now, Watford could lose. Aston Villa could keep on winning. And if that happens, if Aston Villa and Watford both win, then Bournemouth relegated. That relegated Bournemouth, essentially. But, yeah. Scary times for these relegated battle team. Relegation battles. Seems like we said Norwich is already down and dusted. At the top of the league, though, we got a battle for the top three. Leicester dropped points again. Remember, they lost to Bournemouth 3-1 to one, or 4-1. to one. They just lost to Spurs 3-0. Harry Kane getting two goals in the game for Tottenham Hotspur, who have won four of the last five games. So very impressive stuff from Jose Mourinho and Tottenham Hotspur, drawing the one game they didn't win. Manchester United didn't play great at all against Crystal Palace, but got a win nonetheless. So that's important. Getting the win was very, very important. 2-0 was the final score there. Again, wasn't impressive, but they got the win. It doesn't say, oh, this win wasn't impressive, so we're going to give them only one, two points instead of three. No, it was a win, so it's three points. Very big game. Leicester City and Manchester United will play each other on the last game of the season. Sunday, Leicester versus Manchester United. No home crowd there for Leicester City. So we'll see how that affects them going into that game. And Leicester, they've played one more game than Manchester United. Manchester United this week play West Ham. So if the result goes as expected with Manchester United beating West Ham, as I'm predicting now, Manchester United will sit fourth place when they play Leicester. And then Chelsea and their next games, they play Liverpool, which is not a winnable game by any stretch of the imagination. Even if Liverpool are dropping like crazy or they haven't looked good the entire time since the restarts happened, losing their last game and drawing the game before that, and Chelsea will go on to play Wolves the next game. Who, granted, it's Crystal Palace, but they still won 2-0. So there is still a chance that Manchester United finished number three in the league. Finished third. I think it's very possible. If Chelsea lose to Liverpool and Manchester United beat West Ham, Manchester United are in third. Manchester United will be on 65 points, Chelsea on 63, and Leicester will still be on 62. With the better goal differential for Manchester United, with a plus 28 as opposed to Chelsea's plus 15, that's big. That's very big. And they have the same goal difference right now as Leicester City with a plus 28. So interesting stuff going on in the Premiership. Let's talk about uh, La Liga and Serie A before we get into some actual talking points here. We're half hour in. we got to hurry up a little bit. Uh, Lazio and Juventus played today, so Monday. You're listening to this on Tuesday. Juventus won two to one. Lazio are 69 points, are 11 points back of Juventus. At the time of the restart, they were one point back. Now you added a number one, and now they are 11 points back. 11 points back of Juventus. They were one point behind them at the restart. Now they're in fourth. Three points back of second place Inter. And they don't have a better goal differential than Inter or Atalanta. If Syria, if it started at the when the restart happened, if it started then, the top team in Syria is Atalanta. 40, 94 goals this season scored by Atalanta. And they're going to finish top three. Lazio are done. They're done and done. They've lost four of their last five and drawn that other one. They have not looked good at all. It's been a pathetic title challenge from them. And I feel kind of sad for them. I feel kind of bad. And then let's go over to another terrible title challenger. Barely terrible um, title, I, I guess, title challenge with Barcelona and Real Madrid. Real Madrid won the La Liga title, as we said. 
Uh, Barcelona finished the season on 82 points, their lowest points tally since the where's this where's my stats at for this the 0708 season but Messi did get a new ml a uh, new la liga record with 21 assists 25 goals 21 assists in the league this year very impressive stuff from the average player but since it's Messi we have this such high expectations for Messi and Ronaldo which they placed on themselves which is unfair to them but that's a good season that's a really good season for an average player that's below average for Lionel Messi even with the assist numbers you expect Messi to score a crap ton of goals and yes he led La Liga in scoring but you've just come to a custom Messi scoring 30 35 40 goals in La Liga a season now this is not one of Barcelona's strongest teams they've ever had so you're starting Martin Braithwaite week in and week out it's not very a good recipe for success but Messi somehow to break an MLS or <laughs> La Liga record and assist with 21 so good stuff for Messi but big news coming out of the world of soccer a trophy that Messi and Ronaldo win on the regular the Ballon d'Or uh, has been canceled there's no Ballon d'Or for the first time since the trophy was introduced in 1956 because of the weird conditions teams have been playing in no Ballon d'Or which completely screwed Robert Lewandowski out of getting a Ballon d'Or there was some controversy, a little controversy, about when Luka Modric won the Ballon d'Or after the 2018 World Cup. It was a tiny bit. Not a lot. I thought he deserved it. Great stuff in the World Cup. Led Croatia to the World Cup final. Was the best player on Croatia. Played great stuff. One of the best midfielders in the world. But Robert Lewandowski was going to walk away with the Ballon d'Or this year. He scored a ton of goals this season. He scored 51 goals in 43 games in all competitions so far for Bayern Munich he led the league in scoring with 34 goals out of the highest scoring team in Europe 100 goals scored for Bayern Munich he scored 34 of them and he, according to whoscored.com he was the best player in the Bundesliga maybe in the world an 8.3 or 8.13 rating on whoscored.com had the most shots per game in the Bundesliga with 4.5 shots per game which ranked uh 0.9 above Timo Werner in second Ronald Lewandowski was walking away with the Ballon d'Or this year. And now they have announced, it's not fair to some teams, because Messi and Ronaldo, to be honest, were not going to finish in the top three this year. Even though Messi had a 2020 season for the first time that anybody's had a 2020 season since 03-04, and Ronaldo scored 28 goals this season so far in Serie A for Juventus, the first time a Juventus striker has scored over 25 goals in a season in Serie A since 1961. But since we've set these high expectations for these two players, they're not even going to be in the top three. Or weren't, because there's no Ballon d'Or this year. Which is a shame. Robert Lewandowski was going to win it. I feel bad for him, because he has been one of the most consistent strikers in the world over the past decade, pretty much. Dude's 31 years old. He's been scoring goals for fun. And this is his best goal-scoring season. There's not very often where you catch Messi and Ronaldo on kind of an off year for their high standards. Bayern Munich, to my estimates, are the best team in Europe right now. They're the highest scoring team in Europe. They were the best team in Europe once the restart happened. And they looked unstoppable and looked like they were on course for another Champions League title. And Robert Lewandowski, after winning the Bundesliga, after leading the Bundesliga and scoring with 34 goals, after scoring 51 goals in all competitions to this point... Because the Champions League is still going to go on. He would have probably been upwards of 55, maybe even 60 goals. If he won the Champions League as well. That's a Ballon d'Or resume right there. And they're just like, it's not fair because nobody, not everybody has had this. I don't care. Don't cancel their season. League 1 shouldn't cancel their season then. They're still going to have Champions League stuff. All the players that are going to be competing for a Ballon d'Or have already played or are playing now. There's nobody in League 1 that's going to be challenging for a Ballon d'Or this year. Mbappe, Di Maria, Neymar, those guys aren't challenging for anything this year for a individual trophy. The team, the people that are going to be challenging him this year are playing in the Premier League and the Bundesliga and even some in La Liga. Like, yeah, Kareem Benzema won, um, crap, La Liga for the third, led Real Madrid to their 34th league title, scored 21 goals and eight assists this season. One of the highest rated players in La Liga this season. 
You have Sadio Mane, who was a part of a title-winning Liverpool team, scored 17 goals and the fifth-highest-rated player in the Premier League. You had Trent Alexander-Arnold, 12 assists in the Premier League. For a, for a right-back, that's ridiculous. Kevin De Bruyne led the league in assists for the Premier League, 18 assists. Highest-rated player in the Premier League, according to WhoScored.com. Reem Sterling had his highest-scoring season of his career, 25 goals in all competitions, leads Manchester City in scoring in the league for the team that scores the third-highest goals this year. Right behind Bayern Munich and Atalanta, they have 93 goals to their name this year. None of them are even going to challenge for the Ballon d'Or. Why? Because they're just like, ah, it's not fair to everybody. Even though every team that is playing right now, every league that is playing right now, Ligue 1 is not playing. Um, the Portuguese League, no one cares. Those players aren't competing for Ballon d'Ors. The players that are competing for Ballon d'Ors are in the Bundesliga, the Premier League, Serie A, and La Liga. All of those leagues have played and still are playing. La Liga and Bundesliga are done. Premier League and Serie A are still playing, I guess, even though they're both wrapped up league title-wise. Those are the only leagues we need to really worry about for a Ballon d'Or champion. There's nobody, there's nobody coming out of the Chinese Super League that's going to win a Ballon d'Or. No one from the MLS is winning a Ballon d'Or this year. No one from Liga MX is winning a Ballon d'Or. The Australian A-League, no one's winning a Ballon d'Or. So what, what's not fair? <laughs> so are we going to put like, oh, Real Madrid's title wasn't fair to Barcelona because they didn't start the restart better. What is this, what is this unfair thing? You know it's not fair? Kicking, letting a guy not win a rightful award that he deserved this year just because uh, it's not fair for everybody else. Even though the people and the teams that are competing for this award have played and have played the same number of games and have completed their seasons in whole. The only thing not fair in this situation is that you're taking it away from Robert Lewandowski's fantastic season. Everybody out there is going to crown him the Ballon d'Or. They're going to get the fake Ballon d'Or. It's like UCF crowning themselves national champions. Even though that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, they still crown themselves that. I don't think Robert Lewandowski is that selfish to crown himself the Ballon d'Or winner. But people around the world are going to say, yeah, he should have won the Ballon d'Or that year. Which he should have. Which he really, really, really should have. And while we're on the topic of soccer still, uh, do I want to get to this tomorrow? No, I'll get to it right now. So today in the Premier League, let's get back. I wanted to talk about this when we were on the topic of the Premier League, but never got to it. Uh, Sheffield United and Everton played today. 1-0 Everton won. You saw two England goalkeepers competing for each other. This is for basically England's number one spot. Jordan Pickford versus Dean Henderson. And there's another guy in there, Nick Pope, who are all going to be challenging for England's number one spot come Euro 2021. Jordan Pickford, let's go through the resumes. Jordan Pickford was England's number one at the 2018 World Cup. Saved a penalty against Colombia, one of England's better players of the tournament. But now he's battled inconsistency with Everton. Uh, he, some people have even said that he's going to get dropped from the Everton squad by Carlo Ancelotti. Even Marco Silva before that even said that. But if you want to go on the best players of the World Cup, there's a lot of people that were some of the best players of England's World Cup squad that started week, game in and game out that aren't doing anything now. Like Jesse Lingard's one of them. John Stones is another one of them. Then you got Ashley Young was a consistent starter for the England squad that World Cup. Kieran Trippier for that year, his last year at Tottenham, did not do anything. Now he's kind of turned it around with Atletico Madrid, completely revamped himself as a player. But Jordan Pickford's battle inconsistency, he's almost been dropped by Everton managers, but they don't have any good backups, so he's been kind of saved by that. But his international play has always been better than his league play, and it's been really confusing to watch. He's even taken a penalty for England in a shootout. Not in the World Cup, but for that weird Nations Cup thing, League of Nations thing. I don't know. Uh, next one, Dean Henderson, as we said. He has zero appearances for the England senior squad. He's made 11 appearances for the England under-21 squad. Uh, he's been Sheffield United's best player for the past two years. Uh, was a huge reason they got promoted from the tr the championship. It has been a massive reason why they're currently eighth in the Premier League. When a lot of people expected them to go straight back down. And that's what Norwich did instead. He's going to be battling for, Engl for Manchester United's number one spot next year. So that's going to be expected of him because a lot of people are tired of David De Gea's errors that he's had. And it's one of those sayings that go, 
you either die a hero or live there live long enough to see yourself become the villain that's kind of what's happened to david de gea over his last two seasons ever since the 2018 world cup ever since he's he, he made one save i believe in that 2018 world cup one save he was the best goaltender in the world at the time now he's nowhere near that and dean henderson's gonna push him and i think dean henderson at this point in time is a better goaltender than david de gea I think Dean Henderson should be Manchester United's number one next season. That's what I'm believing right now. And the last one, Nick Pope, he was number three on England's 2018 roster. You had uh, Jack or Jordan Pickford was number one, and then Stoke City's Jack Butland, who a lot of people might have forgotten about, down in the Championship, just rotting away in the Championship. Hopefully, he gets to move back to the Premier League soon. But he was the number two. Nick Pope was number three. A lot of people. After that, we're like, ah, he's just going to have that one season. He's going to do nothing else after that. Then he got hurt, and then the same thing got brought up again. He's just not doing it anymore. And now he's about ready to win the Golden Gloves in the Premier League for the uh, most clean sheets in the Premier League. He has 15 clean sheets to his name this year. The Golden Glove favorite. There was rumored move to Tottenham a few years ago, but that was to be a backup. Maybe now he could be pushing a a guy like Hugo Lloris for the starting job. Because I know a lot of Tottenham fans out there would probably rather see... I mean, this is coming from an outsider. I don't know what a lot of Tottenham fans think. I know one. And he's been a Tottenham fan for like five years. So I don't really know how he thinks. That's when a lot of people, I guess, in the United States became Tottenham fans. Because that's when they became relevant. Right before Euro 2016. That's when they became relevant. Um, Really relevant, I guess. Because they had likes of Gareth Bale, Luka Modric, Clint Dempsey was on the team for a while. Or for a year, I guess. Not a while. He was on Fulham for a while. But I would guess a lot of people that make sure Harry Kane stays in London, at least on the blue side of North London, you would like to see him be named captain of Tottenham Hotspur. With Hugo Lloris still the captain, Harry Kane's the vice captain. Maybe there's a move in the works here that Nick Pope comes in and takes Lloris' spot and Harry Kane becomes captain. Maybe that's what happens here. If not, I don't know where he transferred to. Because if you look at the top clubs in the league, like Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, maybe Chelsea. But Chelsea have been looking around to Europe with, like, uh, Jan Oblak with a swap deal for Kepa. Andre Onana from Ajax has been another one they've talked about. Dean Henderson's even been mentioned with Chelsea. But he, they could easily go with Nick Pope. I could see Nick Pope transferring to Chelsea. See that easily. Get English players. Frank Lampard getting some English players in there. I think it would be a great fit for Chelsea now that I'm thinking about it. Out of complete goalkeepers out of this list, Nick Pope might be the best one. But I would go, because I'm very, very biased in this, I would say Dean Henderson is the number one goaltender for England. That is what I'm going to say right now. But I'm biased, again, Manchester United player. He's been in the squad, or been in the team for years. Just been on a loan a crap ton. I thought, for a little bit, he'd be the next Sam Johnstone. Just go on a loan a lot, and just not do anything with his career. Now, Sam Johnstone, to be fair... Is about ready to move back up to the Premier League with West Brom. They're in second in the championship right now. Now, they did bottle a chance to get automatic promotion, but they still are in second in their championship. And if they even go third, they still have a chance to get called up through via the championship playoffs. Ben Amos is another one that just went on loan and then just never, unlike Sam Johnstone, never found his footing after that. He went to Bolton, I think, and then nothing else happened to him. That's what I kind of thought was coming for Dean Henderson. I thought... Joel Pereira was going to be where Dean Henderson is now, essentially battling David Dea for the number one spot. But Joel Pereira has just gone downhill. I don't know what happened to him. I think he's on hearts now in Scotland. Dean Henderson should be Manchester United's number one, and I think it should be a battle between him and Nick Pope for the number one job. If you look at league play, Jordan Pickford should not be in the talks of the top two. I think he should still go. I think he's still the third best goaltender England have at their disposal at this point in time. Maybe you could throw an Aaron Ramsdale from Bournemouth if you want to throw him in there. Maybe. Ben Foster could also get talked about, I guess. Alex McCarthy from Southampton. There's a few goaltenders you could talk about here. But it, Jordan, Garrett Southgate has a nice little connection with Jordan Pickford. So that'll be a little interesting to see if Jordan, if that connection with Jordan Pickford holds him on to that number one spot. Because he's holding on to it by a thread. Because Dean Henderson and Nick Pope, at this point in time, are a lot better than Dean Henderson. Or are a lot better than Jordan Pickford. If you were just watching league play, those two are the best for that England has. 
you look at the goals scored by these teams, I know Nick Pope has the most clean sheets, but Sheffield United have only allowed 36 goals, Vernon's allowed 48, and Everton have allowed 53. I know that's not entirely down to the goaltender. That's about poor defense. Neither one of these teams, those three teams don't have the most rock-solid defenses of all time. Burnley have the likes of James Tarkovsky in their defense. Sheffield have Egan in their defense. Everton have Michael Keane and Mason Holgate, but those two aren't very impressive. But if, I, if I'm Garrett Southgate, I'm picking Dean Henderson as the number one, Nick Pope as the number two, and Jordan Pickford as three. And I could even see Nick Pope being number one as he's about ready to win the Golden Glove. That's what I, I can honestly see that. But I'm going to go biased because I'm a Manchester United fan, so I'm going to go with Dean Henderson being England's next number one shot stopper. Oh, geez. We got about 10 minutes left in this Tuesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. And you know what? I think I'm just going to save what we were going to talk about for the last part of the show for tomorrow. I got some NFL stuff I want to talk about. We got some big news coming out of the NFL from one of the NFL's most, I don't know what you want to call him, but one of their most lucrative players. Is that even, is that the right phrasing of that? One of the most well-known players in the NFL, one of the best players of the last decade in the NFL has made a major announcement today. Now this could change in the near future as this player has made this announcement two times already. So it's probably going to change again. See if he signs anywhere after this big announcement, which we're not going to say. And I got a little battle that we're going to talk about tomorrow as well. I kind of teased it at the start of the show, but you know what? We're going to save it for tomorrow's show. The Josh Allenberg's Patrick Mahomes throw-off thing. I'm going to do a full breakdown of that for tomorrow. It's also Stay Woke Wednesday tomorrow, so make sure you stay tuned for that. I am your host, Logan Blackman. Make sure you go follow the Logan Blackman Show accounts on social media. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel, and I will see you all tomorrow. Have a good day, and peace.